The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve, as you are well aware. If you're not, your kids are for sure. And uh, so Christmas Eve, we do two services at TBC. Five o'clock, we'll have child care through nursery only. And then at 6.30, uh, there's no child care. So we'll do two services. If you do come at five o'clock hour, usually, well, it's like last hour. Last hour, we had overflow out in the lobby. And uh, so the same thing happens at five o'clock typically every year here. So I would come a little early if you want to get a seat and uh, be part of it. We'll do overflow out in the other rooms after we fill up in here. So away we go. So we've been doing a uh, series called uh, The King from Manger to Majesty. We'll wrap it up next week as uh, we see Jesus getting lost in the temple, his parents leaving him, and we'll look at that. And then we're going to move on to a series uh, would we, Shannon, what, you're out there, I saw you somewhere. What, what, what are we calling that series now? We changed the title this week. What is it? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know? Is Rojas, did he leave the building? They changed the name on me last week to make it better. Uh, so, so that's what's happening. By the way, Mark does all these. Uh, Mark is a graphic artist as well as a musician. And I don't know if you guys have noticed our logo for this, but not only is it, we're talking about from manger to king. So obviously the crown represents the king. Do you see the baby in there? So if you see, if you look, I've got a laser pointer in here. I'm not going to do it because I'll mess up. So uh, the distance between the crown on top and bottom, you can see the silhouette of a baby lying in the manger. So uh, Mark came up with that. He's really a talented artist as well as musician. So uh, just a great reminder from us, from the manger to majesty. And uh, we're delighted to have guys like that on staff, women like that on staff with us. So. Um, we're going to look at the word together and uh, talk about if he had not come, if he had not come. How many of you have been to a gender reveal party? Let me see your hands. You've been to a gender reveal party. How many of you have actually had a gender reveal party? You've had that? Okay, several of you out there. That's great. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> wow, look at that. I mean, that, the average age of that group is plus 60. I have no idea what we're talking about. You're my people. Shame on you. Uh, gender reveal is exactly what it's talking about. It's when uh, young couples reveal uh, the gender of their baby. It's a surprise deal, and there are a lot of ways to do it. These events have actually morphed into a cottage industry. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You can go, uh, you can look them up, and, and there are hundreds of gender reveals that you can see on video. Uh, it's become a game of one-upmanship, really. I mean, you almost need a creative arts department to help you plan a unique reveal. You, you need a public relations company to invite your guests. You, you need a caterer to feed all the people that come to this reveal. And, and then things can still go wrong. They can still go wrong. In fact, if you Google, Google up gender reveal failures, you'll have a great laugh this holiday season. But some of you aren't going to do it, so I did it for you. So watch this. Gender reveal failures. One, two, three. All right, boys. You ready? One, two, three. What color is it? I don't think he wanted a baby sister. What do you think? I mean, those, those are hoot. And uh, if you want to waste some time this holiday season, just Google them up and you can see hundreds of those. I know because I spent way too much time looking at them this week. Um, sometimes these things can go wrong, but they're nothing compared to 
What would have happened if the baby had not come? I mean, what would have happened if Jesus had not come? If he had not come? And so that's what I want us to focus on this morning. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at uh, if he had not come. Suppose the incarnation had not happened. Suppose uh, there was no birth in Bethlehem. Suppose there were no shepherds coming through the fields looking for the baby. Suppose there were no wise men looking for a king. Suppose there were no angels announcing the good news. Suppose, just for a moment, he hadn't come. So this morning I'm going to talk about four specific examples. Just going to pull out four theological things that we're going to look at that would be totally different if the baby had not come. First of all, if he had not come, there would be no redemption and we would still be in sin. If he had not come, if the Messiah had not come, if Jesus had not come, there would be no redemption and we would still be in our sin. In the book of Matthew, the angel has appeared to Mary and uh, she has been found to be with child. And uh, then it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, this is Matthew 119, and not desiring and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. So Joseph finds out that he is not the baby daddy, to put it in the vernacular of today, that, that he's not the baby daddy. He, he's found out that uh, actually his wife is not pure, but she's pregnant. And I can't imagine what my response would have been as a man thinking through what just happened and the news he just heard. She's told him about this angelic visitor who, uh, who told her she would be pregnant with that child from the Holy Spirit. And I can only imagine Joseph's heart sank. But Joseph, the scriptures tell us, was a righteous man and he was a kind man. Being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, Joseph's emphasis seems to be upon his bride and not upon himself. He seems to be a man who is more interested in making sure she is not disgraced than worrying about himself. Most of us might respond in anger, self-protection, knowing the shame that would come upon us when it's announced that your bride is pregnant and you're not the daddy and how that would take place. And most people would mock the concept of an angelic visitor who impregnated her in some way. But the reality of it is Joseph. Joseph was a kind man. In the face of crushing disappointment, Joseph displays both kindness and mercy. As I thought about that, I thought, what a great model for the Messiah. I mean, here's a carpenter, Joseph, who displays grace and mercy in finding out this news and doesn't want to shame his own bride. And I often thought, I wonder when Jesus touched that leper and when Jesus healed those blind eyes and when Jesus uh, reached out and, 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 and healed the demoniacs, I wonder if those are things he saw in his earthly father. Because we see Joseph as a righteous man, a kind man, and a graceful man. And we don't know what happened to Joseph. We're not sure if he died early on in the life of Jesus, if he lived through that, but there's no mention of him after the episode when Jesus is lost in the temple. There's no mention of him at all in the scriptures. But we do know from the brief episode we have here in the Gospels that when Mary found out that she was pregnant, that Joseph became one who was concerned about her more so than himself. In Matthew one twenty one, it says, the angel said to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Remember, the point is, if he had not come, there would be no redemption and we would still be in sin. And so the angel speaks to Joseph and says, Joseph, I want you to know that, that, that this baby is going to come and, and he will save his people from their sin. Joseph, this baby is coming with a purpose unlike any baby who has ever entered the world. 
And then I love what Matthew one twenty four says. It says, Joseph arose from his sleep and he did as the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife and he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and they called his name Jesus. He arose and he did as the angel commanded. He obeyed the instruction he was given. There's no debate, there's no dialogue, there's no hesitation, but Joseph lives and walks in obedience to what he hears. When I think of that, I realize that's what I want to be. Surely that's what you want to be, a person who walks in obedience when you receive instruction from the Lord. And here's Joseph who responds in grace to Mary, but he also responds in obedience to that which he hears. So I wrote my notes, Gary, what about you in obeying God? And my friends, what about you in obeying God? When you look back over 2018 as it rolls to an end and the curtain's going to come up on 2019 in another week and a half, and, and when that happens, you look back over this past year, what has God convicted you of and have you walked in obedience? Maybe it was a conviction to begin to spend time in the Word. Maybe it was a conviction to begin to serve. Maybe it was a conviction to get involved in a small group, a community group. Maybe it was a conviction to become generous with the funds He's given you. Maybe it was a conviction to reconcile a broken relationship. Maybe it was a conviction to serve somewhere. Maybe it was a conviction to forgive someone. Maybe it was a conviction to share Christ with someone, to open your home to others. I don't know what it was, but have you responded in obedience like Joseph did? Our desire should not be to be disobedient, but to be obedient when we hear the word. A couple of years ago, I was in Walmart checking out. It was Christmas time, and uh, there was an argument taking place between a mom and her four-year-old. Quite interesting. His name was uh, Jeremy. And, and so finally I heard the mom said, Jeremy, if you say that again, if you complain one more time, I'm going to give you time out when we get home. Time out when we get home. I thought to myself, that's interesting. Jeremy had just been snapping off and arguing with her and being rude to her and being ugly to her. And then finally she had it and she said, "Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, I've had enough of that. You've made a bad choice. Bad choice, time out. They didn't have that when I was a kid. I'm not sure what all that means, to be honest with you. You just made a bad choice. You popped off to mama. You made a bad choice. So when you get home, you're not getting a spanking. You're going to time out, probably in your room to play with your toys or your computer or something else. But, but the whole point of that was I watched this little boy disobey over and over, over and over. And I thought, I do that sometimes. I'm like a four-year-old, convicted by God, but want to have this argument with him. God, are you really sure? God, really? Is that what you want me to do? God, do you want me to... You ever get caught up in that? See, that's what Joseph didn't do. What he did is he responded. Well, enough about Joseph. Let's go to the point of what we're, the point we're trying to make here. If, if Jesus had not come, there would be no redemption and we would still be in our sin. We'd still be in our sin. He came to save his people. In fact, we see in Luke 2.11, 2, today in the town of David, a savior, one who saves that has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He is the Lord. In Luke 2, 29, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. This is Simeon, the older man, for my eyes have seen what? Your what? What's the word? Salvation. This is a baby they're talking about. Over and over in the birth story today, we've seen a savior. He goes on and says, we see, I have seen your salvation. And then it says, coming up to them at that very moment, she, referring to Anna, an older lady who had been waiting in the temple for the Messiah, she gave thanks to God, spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. He is the redeemer. 
He is the one who came as a savior. He is the one who saves the world. He is the one who gave his life. So uh, Hobby Lobby got it right about five years ago when they came out with this graphic at Christmas time. I love their graphics. Because when we look at the cradle, we see the cross. You can't see one without seeing the other. One author put it this way, unless you see the cross overshadowing the cradle, we've lost the real meaning of Christ's birth. Another author puts it this way, the message of the cradle contains the mission of the cross. The, the, the message of the cradle contains the mission of the cross. The message of the cradle, he came as a savior, he came as the redeemer. And then uh, this Alma Barkman in her book about the, the incarnation says, hostages in the hands of an evil captor yearn for freedom. At the appointed time, a loving father leaves the ransom, the ransom, the redeemer, the one who paid the price, a bundle wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. If he had not come, there'd be no redemption. We'd still be in our sins. Redemption means he has paid the price for our sins. A few weeks ago, Bev and I were in a restaurant, and as we went to check out, I asked the waitress to bring her ticket, and uh, she came to the table and said, sir, it's already been paid for. I said, really, who paid for it? And she said, well, they've already left. I, 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 I don't know. They, they were here. They uh, picked up the ticket for you and your wife, and so I had no idea who to thank for that. If you were that person or that couple, we thank you right now. Thank you very much for doing that. We appreciate it. My only regret is I had soup and salad instead of a big steak, so... <laughs> Try again if you see us there. (laughs) We have no idea who paid that price. But we do know who paid this price. We we do know who came and we knew who paid the price for us. And we can thank him. So I'm going to do something a little uncharacteristic. I'm going to pause for a second. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to thank the Redeemer. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment. And I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and thank you. Thank Jesus for coming and being the Redeemer who freed us and paid the price for our sin. If he hadn't come, there'd be no redemption and we'd still be in sin. If he hadn't come, there would be no light and we would still be in darkness. I've shared with you two other times during Christmas season about our love-hate relationship with lights. How many of you have that same love-hate relationship with Christmas lights? Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, we've got this love-hate relationship with Christmas lights. We, we love to decorate at Christmas time, and, and it's, I love seeing the house and all of its majesty, and Bev is a fabulous decorator, and so lights and Christmas go together. And uh, we have this love-hate relationship. Every year at the end of Christmas, we load up uh, all the Christmas stuff and we put them in plastic crates, about 205 plastic crates. And I haul them up into the attic. I told Bev, next year, why don't we celebrate Christmas in the attic? It'd be a whole lot easier. Okay. But, uh, but we haul those crates up, we pick them up. When we pick everything up, we pick up the Christmas tree, the lights are working. We pick up the garland on the mantle that are filled with lights, the lights are working. We've got a little tree outside our front door. When we pick it up and put it in a plastic sleeve, the lights are working. We have two trees on either side of an outdoor fireplace. Those lights are working. When we pick everything up, all those lights are working. All we do is store them in the attic for 11 months. And then we go to plug them in 11 months later, and some of those lights are what? Not working. It's a common problem, by the way. I Googled up. This is what I Googled up. Let me look at my notes. I Googled up these words. Where is it? 
um, Christmas lights not work, or problems with Christmas lights. That's it. Problems with Christmas lights. If you Google it up, don't do it right now. Take my word for it. 121 million websites come up. <laughs> one, of our guy, one of our young guys, one of the Weber sons is here. He works for Google in California. He says, uh, that's exactly right. And that's after we tried to get the word Christmas off of the Google thing. So 121 million websites come up. If you Google up, try it sometime, problems with Christmas lights. I got fascinated with that number. I got a little sidetracked of preparing for my sermon this week. So I thought, I wonder how long it takes to read 121 million websites. And so if you just spend six seconds on each website, just six seconds, you have any idea how long it takes you to read 121 million websites? It will take you, if you are doing that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 121 million websites, only six seconds per website, which you can't do that quickly, it's going to take you 29 days to go through those websites to find out why your Christmas lights aren't working. Don't do it. <laughs> but here's the point of all that. We pick them up. They're working. We take them out and they're not working. And then they, they make these lights so you've got to go buy new ones because if one of them is burned out, what happens? That whole strand is out. That's crazy. That's people wanting to make money is what that is. So I told Bev, no Christmas lights next year. We're done with all that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Christmas and light go together. Over and over. We see it in all these passages. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. This should be John 1, 4, and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 9 through 11, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, though the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own and own didn't receive him. Lights and Christmas and the birth of the Savior go together. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Over and over, we see the concept of light. This Jesus is a light that will never go out. He's a light that dispels darkness. He's a light that always shines to make our pathway clear. The theme of light is found over and over and over in the Christmas story. By the way, the earlier quote out of Matthew, you know where that was spoken? When it says he's a light unto the Gentiles spoken in the temple. Imagine that. Saying he's a light unto the Gentiles spoken in the Jewish temple because he came as a Messiah for all people. If Jesus had not come, if he had not come, then we recognize, we recognize that indeed we would still be in darkness. Not only did he come as a light into the world, but then Paul picks up on that theme. I, I begin to look at the word light every time it's used in the New Testament, and it's used a number of times. So in Ephesians 5, for instance, Paul picks up on the theme of light, and he says this, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So Paul's saying, before you knew Christ, you lived in darkness. Now you know Christ, you live in light. In fact, not only do you live in light, you are light. You are light. And then I got fixated on this last phrase, find out what pleases the Lord. 
The word find out there in the Greek text, which the Greek is uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. It, it means investigate, investigate in your mind, in your heart, what pleases the Lord. So I thought, well, I'm a dad, I'm a granddad. What pleases me as a father? So maybe what pleases me as a father, the same thing that pleases our heavenly father. So what is it that pleases you as a father, as a mother, as a parent? I wrote my notes. Well, we are pleased as parents when our kids obey us. We are pleased when they spend time with us. We're pleased when they speak well of us. We're pleased when they call us to talk to us. We're pleased when they tell us they love us. We're pleased when they want to hang out with us. So our Heavenly Father, our parent, is pleased when we obey Him. Pleased when we choose to spend time with Him. Pleased when we speak well of Him. Pleased when we tell Him we love Him. Pleased when we want to hang out with Him in worship. And Paul says, as children of the light, find out what pleases the Lord. And I would add, do it. What pleases the Lord? The same thing that pleases you as a parent. And then you do it and honor him with your life. The point is, he came to dispel the darkness. If he had not come, there'd be no redemption. We'd still be in sin. If he had not come, there would be no light. and We'd still be in darkness. If he had not come, there would be no peace and we would still be in chaos. Tomorrow on Christmas Eve, I'm going to spend the whole time talking about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. It comes from uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So I'll spend the whole time talking about that tomorrow evening. But let's just say for now, if he hadn't come, there would be no peace, we'd still be in chaos. Christmas is a time of chaos. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, really, from Thanksgiving through New Year's, it's a time of chaos. Now, I love it. I, I like a little chaos in my life, and, but, but I especially love this season because the world focuses on gratitude through Thanksgiving. It focuses upon Jesus during Christmas. It focuses on new starts for the new year. And we can take advantage of that as believers. But it's a time of chaos. There's shopping, there's decorating, there's cooking, there's school events, there's family gatherings, there's getting together with friends, there's travel, and then there's trying to keep everyone happy by buying the right gifts, cooking the right foods, uh, buying the right stuff for your spouse. And Bev and I figured out how to do that. So here's how we do it at our house. I used to buy Christmas presents, wrap them up, make a stocking, and put them in there. And uh, then a lot of that stuff she'd have to take back because I didn't pick out the right stuff or I got the wrong size. And how many of you guys can relate to that? Men, yeah, all the men are raising their hands. So here's what we do at our house. So during the year, she sees something she likes, she buys it. She puts it in my closet. Christmas comes, she's forgotten what she's bought. I just stuff it in the stocking, wrap it up, and she pulls it out and says, wow, I don't remember I got that, I remember I got that, I remember I got that. And we're all happy in our family because of that. Now, I'm not saying that's the way to do it, but it is a smart way to do it. And you don't have to take anything back because she got everything she wanted. So it works at our house. It may not work for you, but here's the point of all It's a time of chaos. You want the right gift. You want the right food. You've got to coordinate schedules. And it just becomes a time of great chaos. You want the right gift for your kids. I mean, we, last hour we had all these little kids in here. It was amazing to see because they don't get to come in here that often. So you buy the right gift for your kids, or your grandkids, and they rip open the presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. And they look, you look at the box and they look at the box has those dreaded words. Batteries, that's it. It's Christmas morning, batteries not included, and you forgot to get batteries. 
or you've got the wrong size batteries. I need double A's and you've got triple A's. The kids cry, you cry. You get sent to Walgreens because it's the only thing open in our town and you join the line of dozens of other parents buying batteries. And if they run out, you want to wrench them out of somebody's hand so that your kids can enjoy Christmas and it doesn't matter what happens to their kids, right? It's chaos. Just chaos. I read a story about chaos at a, at a church play that took place last year. It was a night of the children's Christmas play and uh, little Johnny was upset because he really wanted the role of Joseph in the Christmas play, but he was assigned the role of the innkeeper. And he was really bitter about it. So the night of the play, when Joseph and Mary came to the inn, Joseph knocks on the door and a little bitter boy named Johnny opens the door and Joseph says, uh, we're looking for a room. My wife is pregnant. She's about to have a child. And little Johnny, who was mad about everything, says, sure, come on in. I've got room in my inn. The whole audience just stood with mouths agape. It was total chaos. And uh, then Joseph, being a quick-witted little six-year-old, he stepped in, looked around, and said, uh, this place is a dump. I'd rather my wife have her baby in the barn. <laughs> so you've always wondered how Jesus got to a stable. That's how it happened right there. I mean, there's chaos involved in this time of year. But Jesus came to give us peace. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Hey, if things are not peaceful in your life right now, the prince of peace came to give you peace. If he hadn't come, there'd be no redemption, we'd still be in sin. If he hadn't come, there'd be no light, we'd still be in darkness. If he had not come, there'd be no peace and we'd still be in chaos. And finally, if he had not come, there'd be no worship and we'd still be in bondage. There'd be no worship and we'd still be in bondage because he came as the Messiah, as the baby king. You know, worship fills up the pages of the incarnation. When you read Matthew and Luke's account, we see worship all over the pages of the birth of our Savior. Matthew 2, 2, and the, and the wise men said, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? We saw his star when, he, when it rose. We have come to do what? To worship him. And then it says in Matthew 2, 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then we go to Luke's gospel and it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God. They worshiped him. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to those whom he found his favor. And so they came praising God, worshiping God. And then Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned. They were glorifying and praising God. They were worshiping him. And then we read in Luke 2.28, Simeon took him on his arms in his arms and he praised God. He worshiped God. And then there's Anna coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God. She worshiped God. So when we look at the gospel accounts of the birth of our Savior, one of the common themes is not only light, but another common theme is worship. We see the angels worship. We see the shepherds worship. We see the wise men worship. We see Simeon worship. We see Anna worship. If he had not come, there would be no worship because we would still be in bondage. But because he came, we're not in bondage. And we bow down and we worship the Christ child. There's a little girl who decided she would recite the Christmas story Christmas Eve. And their family 
Normally someone read it from the Bible. She was five years old and she said she had it memorized and she would recite it. This was her recitation. Her name was Sharon. She was sure of the facts. She said the family was so poor, they only had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat along the way. They went a long way from home without a GPS, but didn't get lost. The lady rode a donkey, the man walked, and the baby was inside the lady, and she laughed. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and a donkey. But three rich men showed up because they followed a star that littered the roof. Shepherds came, and you could pet their sheep, but you couldn't feed them. You ever wonder what kids think about the Christmas story? <laughs> what do you mean? It's a, it's a, kids, uh, that's not true, okay? If you're a kid in here, that's not in the story. And then she stood up in front of all, everybody, all of her family gathered and she said, the baby was born, B-O-R-N-E-D. The baby was born. And then she said, you know what? In front of her whole family and her mom says her eyes went from quarter size to dollar size. You know what? The baby was God. She screamed it out. And then she did a pirouette and sat down. Isn't that what we should do? Hey, that baby was God. Because if he hadn't come, there'd be no redemption. If he hadn't come, there'd be no light. If he hadn't come, there'd be no peace. And if he hadn't come, there wouldn't be any worship. But because he has come, because he has come, we do have redemption. And we're not still in our sins. And the light has dispelled the darkness. And the chaos is replaced with peace. And we're no longer in bondage, but we can worship him. The baby, the Christ child. Because he came, we have eternal and abundant life. Worship team, you guys want to join me up here? So you guys know I love World War II history. And uh, I've always wanted to go to Normandy. And uh, so we decided if we're going to go, we better go with my situation. So last year we went to Normandy. And uh, I, I've read Ambrose's D-Day, which is one of the best accounts. I've read, watched the movies. My favorite movie in the whole world is Saving Private Ryan. I don't know how many of you like it, but out of all the movies I've ever seen, it's my favorite movie. The Longest Day. I mean, so we had the privilege to go to France and uh, see Normandy. We hired a guide for the day with another couple, some friends of ours, and we hired a guide for the day, and uh, it was just a great day. And if you know anything about D-Day, it was a tremendous invasion. I mean, it was actually, uh, it took over a, year, over a year preparation, a little under a year in preparation. 150,000 troops stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. 6,900 vessels were involved, 4,100 landing crafts, 12,000 airplanes, and then within two weeks, an additional 300,000 soldiers hit the beaches of Normandy. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And we had a great day touring all the different beaches and hearing from our guide everything that was there. It was a great reminder to me of all I had studied and read, forgotten a lot of it as, you know, you read and forget, and just a great reminder. And at the end of the day, I remember our guide said, the greatest invasion in the history of the world was Normandy. And I thought, I want to say something. And said, no, it wasn't. I love Normandy. I love reading about it. I love everything. But the greatest invasion in the history of the world was this. That. A baby who came as a savior 
for the world. And as great as Normandy was, and as powerful as it was, there was nothing like this. Because if he had not come, there would be no redemption, and no light, and no peace, and no worship. And that's why the greatest invasion in the history of the world was a baby. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending the Christ child, the king, the one who came to give himself for us. And we bow before him and we worship him. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming.
you don't know the Prince of Peace, I pray you sit right where you are right now. Thank him for the redemption the price was paid. Ask him for forgiveness so the darkness will be dispelled. And you can have peace all the days of your life. And if you know him, I pray that you'll walk in the light and find out what pleases the Father. In his name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas.